All right. Good morning, everybody. My name is Josh. I am the preaching minister here at Alliance Christian Church. And if you're wondering why I started my message that way, just hold tight. We'll talk about it. Okay? But today, we're going to get started in our kingdom series on the book of Matthew. Kind of. What I want to do today is I want to set the stage for reading the book of Matthew. And so I've got two goals for us today. My first goal is to prepare you to read and study the book of Matthew. It means I want to talk a little bit about the background information, the context, the themes that arise in the book of Matthew, who Matthew was, everything we need to know about Matthew. And then I want to take a step away from that in just a second, and then I want to prepare us to apply the book of Matthew. How are we going to actually live out this book in our lives? And the things that I want to talk about are going to be specific things. So I'm not going to throw out some generalized ideas of maybe you're feeling this way, or maybe you're acting this way, or maybe you think this. It's not going to be a vague thing. I want us to have a serious conversations about specific things and specific places where we are doing a good job of building up the kingdom of heaven. And then I want to talk about some specific places where I think we need to do better. So what that means is that some of this sermon might make you feel good. Because I'm going to point out specific places where each and every one of you have done an awesome job at growing God's kingdom. And so when those parts of this message come out, I want you to have my permission to feel proud of the work that God is doing in this church. And pat yourself on the back and pat God on the back. And then there's other parts of this message that I'm just going to be straight through the front door might make us feel a little uncomfortable. Because we're going to talk about specific places where we need to do better as a church. So there's, there's going to be parts of this message that you might not like. There's going to be parts of this sermon that might make you upset. You might be upset with me. And I'm okay with that. My goal is not to put anybody down. My goal is not to make you walk out of these doors feeling sad and mopey and upset. That's not what I'm going for. What, what I'm going for is like, anybody ever, ever watched like the sports movies where the team is down by a couple of points at halftime and they go into the locker room and the coach gives the speech to rally them to come back in the second half and win the game? Sometimes he encourages them and says, you guys are doing an awesome job with this. You guys are doing an awesome job with that. But sometimes the coach says, you know what? You've got to do better on defense. You have got to go for those rebounds. You have got to do better if we want to accomplish our goal. He coaches them. He points out the places where they're doing well, the places where they need to do better, so that at the end of the halftime speech, they're inspired and they're ready to go out and they're ready to fulfill the objective. So in the sports movie, that's, that's to win the game. 
I want today's message to be a rallying point for us as a church so that we can go out after halftime and accomplish our objective. And for us, as a church, our objective is building up the kingdom of heaven. We're going to be spending a summer in the book of Matthew. In this book alone, Jesus says the word kingdom 54 times. More than any other book in the New Testament. And in the book of Matthew alone, let me put this into perspective. Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew more times than all of Paul's letters combined. So it was a big deal for Jesus, this kingdom thing. And it was a big deal for Matthew. Out of all four accounts of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew is the one who records Jesus talking about the kingdom the most. And it's not even close. So when Matthew sat down and was like, I'm going to write about the life and the actions and the events of Jesus, and he was thinking of all of the things he remembered Jesus saying, his discussions about the kingdom were the things that came to his mind the most. So let's, let's talk about Matthew for a little bit. Who was Matthew? Matthew was one of the twelve, the twelve disciples, the twelve apostles. He was formerly a tax collector, which means he had a lot of experience working directly with the Roman kingdom, the worldly kingdom, and then going straight into working for the kingdom of heaven. And he saw the differences between the kingdoms that we establish and the kingdom that God establishes. So that's why it was a big theme for him. Matthew was the kind of guy who looked back on the Old Testament, or as they called it in those days, the Bible. Remember, the New Testament wasn't written at that time. He looked back on Genesis and Exodus all the way through Malachi, and the theme that he saw in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament was a constant secession of failed kings all throughout the Bible. That's what he saw. He looked back at history and said, we have tried and failed to build up God's kingdom. And then he looked at Jesus. And he was like, this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the guy that in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, all the way through, this is the guy that the entire scripture has been pointing us to. This is the guy where in 2 Samuel 7, God tells David, when the time comes for you to die, I will raise up your descendant, one of your sons to succeed you, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build for me a house for my name, and I will make his dynasty permanent. Jesus is the king, and Matthew saw that. So when when Matthew sat down and he wanted to write this book, this is what he had in mind. His, His whole purpose was to convince you that Jesus is the king, to convince you to join his kingdom, to follow this king, and to serve and devote your entire existence to doing whatever the king asks you to do. Here's what... 
Here's what the book of Matthew is not. And this is important as we go through. The book of Matthew is not simply a chronology of the life of Jesus. In fact, sometimes Matthew actually tells the story out of order on purpose. He takes the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did and he moves and shifts them around because he's not trying to tell you just a, a this happened and then this happened and this happened. No, he, Matthew is trying to do something way bigger than that. He was trying to take the life and events of Jesus and arrange them in this beautiful masterpiece so that you look at it and you see, yes, this is the king. If you, want, if you want a chronology, read Mark. Mark is the account of the gospel where Mark presents the life of Jesus and Mark's like, yep, this thing happened and then this thing happened and then this thing happened and then they killed Jesus and then he rose from the dead at the end. That was, that was Mark's goal. That was how the Spirit was working through Mark. The Spirit inspired Mark to write this book that was like, just give me the facts. Matthew was different. In fact, if we look at Mark and Matthew, Mark doesn't even give us the details that we get in Matthew. Like, when you're reading about the baptism of Jesus in the book of Mark, Mark's like, yeah, and then Jesus got baptized, and then he went out into the desert, and then this thing happened. And you're like, what? The all-perfect king of the universe got baptized? Why? And Mark's like, oh, he just did it. That was Mark's goal. I'm not going to explain it to you. I'm just going to tell you what happened. Matthew is the one who brings in his conversation with John the Baptist and explains to us, this was done to fulfill all righteousness. This was done to fulfill the scriptures. And you're like, oh, I get it. Thank you. Mark goes, and then Jesus went out into the desert and he was tempted by Satan. And then he went out and called some disciples. And you're like, whoa, whoa, back up a minute. Mark, you're just going to throw out this thing about, yeah, Jesus got tempted by Satan, and that was a cool story. And then the next thing that happened, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. So Matthew is the one who backs up and tells us what actually happened. All of those details. Matthew is the one that tells us why it was important, why the scriptures were fulfilled. So, so here's how I want us to read the book of Matthew this summer. Number one, I'm not going to put a lot of stress on the order in which things happen. It might come up a couple of times, but we're not really going to dive into the logistics of Jesus going from this place to that place and, and all of that. Because I, I don't think that's what Matthew was going for. He wasn't going for an ordered chronology. He was trying to give you this beautiful picture of Jesus' life. It was a work of art. And the other thing that we're not going to do, and you might not like this, but when we read through Matthew, we are not going to compare and contrast what Mark and Luke and John also said about these events. And the reason, this is my philosophy on reading the accounts of the gospel, Matthew wrote a book for a reason. God gave us four accounts of the gospel. God inspired four different people to write four different things for four different reasons. And so I want to give Matthew the 
attention that he deserves. And if Luke or Mark were inspired to write something slightly different, well then when we do a study on Mark or Luke or John, we'll, we'll talk about those. But the Spirit specifically inspired Mark to write what he wrote, and so I want to I see the picture that Matthew is painting. Because here's the deal. I believe that the entire Bible is inspired scripture, that the Holy Spirit worked through the writers. And I also believe that Matthew was a real human person who had a personality. He had a specific relationship with Jesus that comes out in his writings. He had certain things that he thought was important that Jesus said that Mark and Luke maybe were like, I guess that's okay, the whole kingdom thing, but Matthew thought it was really important, so I want to pay attention to what Matthew thought and what Matthew believed. He had a different style of writing. Like if you actually read the Greek, their grammar is different. Their sentence structure, they speak differently. Just like if you go to a different church and you hear two preachers talking about the same passage of Scripture, well, even their style and their demeanor is going to be a little bit different. God made Matthew with a personality, and that comes out in his writing. Even, even the way the book of Matthew is organized is special. Remember, I told you he wasn't trying to write a chrono chronological event. Matthew actually broke this book up into five major sections where he took five major speeches that Jesus gave and he, and he presents them, one, two, three, four, five, and then he takes the events of Jesus' life and kind of injects them in between these speeches. They're, they're like pillars holding up a building. And even that structure Matthew is subtly trying to remind us of the five books of Moses. God is very quietly trying to remind us that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that came and the future for everything that will be. So don't, don't think of this book as just a linear story. Mark already did that. When we study Mark, we'll talk about the order of things. John did a pretty good job just laying it out there. I want you to think of the book of Matthew as, as a work of art, like a, like a canvas painting that the Spirit just poured through Matthew to put this beautiful work of art, painting this picture of the life of Jesus, and specifically what the kingdom of heaven looks like and how we should relate to the king and the kingdom. I want to direct your attention, if you've got your Bibles, if you've got the Bible app, we also, I forgot to mention, have uh, Alliance Christian Church has an app. If you want to download that, we have the bulletin, and you can follow along with that as well. I'm going to just get a regular old paper Bible, but I want to point your attention to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. I think this does a good job of, uh, of showing us the themes that we're going to see here. Matthew 9.35 says, Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogue, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and sickness. 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were bewildered and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest-ready fields. So if, if the book of Matthew is about this kingdom and Jesus being the king and instituted this kingdom, Matthew 9, 35 through 38 tells us that we are the subjects of his kingdom. And our entire existence is predicated on this verse. Send out workers because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. God gave us this kingdom, and our job is to grow it. The entire reason we meet, the entire reason we exist, is to take this kingdom and to plant seeds and allow it to grow. Which means, in order to do that, we need to be the kind of place where people walk through these doors and they instantly say, this is it. This is what I read about in my Bible. This is that kingdom thing I keep hearing about. This is the kind of place where I want to come and glorify God. Last week, during our Easter service, that was one of the most incredible experiences that I think I've ever had in my life. I mean that. I had asked you all before Easter to bring a word of scripture or a song or uh, some word of encouragement because my goal was that, that we would all be united, that we would all be a family praising God together. And I'll be honest, there was, a, there was a little part of me that was a little bit worried about what would happen if nobody did that. There's a little, that little seed of doubt that I know I shouldn't have as a Christian, but I had that little seed that was like, what if... What if nobody, what if this is, everyone thinks it's dumb and nobody wants to sing and nobody wants to bring scripture and what am I going to do with all of these people back here and I give my sermon and then I've got nothing to say for communion, I've got no songs to sing and we all kind of just sit there and eat our egg casserole and then go home. That, that worried me a little bit. But you guys went above and beyond. I had people texting and calling me that entire week. Hey, can we sing this song? Can you help me get the words to this song printed out? Hey, can you find this video? Because I really want to share this video with the church. When I stood up to say, hey, can we have somebody share something with communion? Like, on the spot, we had that awesome story about the, the bummer lambs, and it was, it was inspiring. You guys brought your families. You, you made them feel welcome. You made them feel like this is the kingdom. And I like that. You did that. And I think we need to do more of that. Because that felt like a family. I don't know what it's going to look like to do more of that, but I think we need to do more like that. So I'm all ears. If there's something you want to do that has that, I'm all for it. Just like last October, 
when we handed out candy on, on Halloween right here in the front steps. You guys, you were the ones who showed up. You brought the candy. You dressed up in silly costumes and invited people who, from outside the church and played the silly games with the kids and put our face out there in the community. You guys did that. We have a children's ministry. I know that sounds silly because there's some, like this week, our children's ministry is just my two kids. But you know how much of a children's ministry we had six months ago? This much. That's a heck of a lot more than what we had. And you guys did that. You came and you volunteered. You brought crafts. You brought gifts. My, that little bunny. My daughter has that little bunny from her surgery. She carries that thing everywhere. She cannot go anywhere without that. She's got it with her in her backpack right now. My son, the other, a, a week or two ago, came up to me and he said, Hey, Dad, do you know that God's love is like a circle because it has no beginning and end, kind of like a hula hoop? He didn't learn that from me. He didn't learn that going to Westway Christian Church in Scotts Bluff. He didn't learn that from his mom. He learned that here in this building from you. And I want us to grow that. But here's the deal. We're just getting started. We are just getting started. And I think there's a lot of places where we need to find that power of the Spirit inside of us and dig deep and continue to grow. We can't stop here. Because look, we're still, this is truth time, guys. We are still not quite yet at the point where parents feel like this is a good place to bring their kids to church. We're working on it. And as it stands right now, we've still got work to do. And we need your help. We need your ideas. When you come in here on Sunday morning, I want you all to walk through this door and imagine that you just spent the last two hours getting your three kids crammed into nice clothes and shoes and trying to get them some breakfast to get to church on time. And you didn't have to come here. You could have just plopped those kiddos on the couch and put some cartoons in front of them and sat in your pajamas and drank coffee, but you chose to come here. I want you to imagine that's who you are. What do you, what do you see when you come in the doors? What do you like? What do you not like? What do you wish was better? And here's the deal, a lot of this stuff that we need to work on, a lot of it's going to fall on, on me and Ron and Stu and leadership. And so I guess what I'm really trying to tell you all is that there are places where we are falling short and we desperately need your help. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I need you guys to be coming to me and saying, this stinks, whatever it is. This stinks, we need to fix it. Here's how I can help. We should be doing X, Y, Z better. Here's my idea. Here's what I have to offer. 
We can get things redecorated. We can move things around. We can bring different ideas in. And there are times when you've done that. Another place where we're trying to do better is worship. I've heard you loud and clear. You guys have all but shaken me by the shoulder saying, we want new music. So we're bringing that to you. I'm going to do my best to, to bring you guys some updated songs, some upbeat stuff to bring this, to make this a place where we all feel alive. But again, here's, here's where I need your help. Because if I'm getting the guitar ready and the songs and with Jacob over here fiddling with the sound, you know where I'm not going to be is at that front door welcoming people in. I can't be in two places at once. And so one practical place where I could use some help is I would love if somebody would volunteer to come in a little bit early. <laughs> All right, thank you everybody for coming. We've got our... <laughs> Something as simple as just coming a few minutes early and just camping out. You can even bring a chair over there and park by the door to be there when people come in to open the door and say, come in, welcome. We're glad you're here. Because again, I want us to start changing the way we think about church. And I want us to th start acting as though we've got visitors coming. And how we organize and do everything should be to welcome our community in. This, this final thing that I want to talk about, this ultimately falls, you can't help with this, but kind of. This falls on me and Ron and Stu and even Marie. And that's the fact that I think sometimes our biggest strength can turn into our biggest weakness. What do I mean by that? We are such a tight-knit family. We are so together. We have that family element of the community of people who follow Christ. That sometimes when new people come in here, they feel a little bit like this. Here's a perfect example. When I stand up here to preach to you all, everybody knows who I am. Right? Does anybody not know who I am? Okay, good. Because I've been here for a while. I'm coming up on a year. When I stand up to give a communion meditation, you know that I'm the preacher. You know that I'm the minister. You know who doesn't know that? It's that new person that walks in the door. They just see some random kid standing up here with an iPad talking to you all, and it takes them a couple minutes to realize, oh, that must be the preacher. And so starting now, I'm going to start developing that habit of starting every message by saying, hi, I'm Josh. I'm the preaching minister here at Alliance Christian Church. Thank you for coming. I, I ask that anybody who stands up here, our elders and Marie and everybody, we could get in the habit of doing that and saying like, hi, my name is Ron Jones. I'm the elder here at Alliance Christian Church. Hi, my name is Stu. Hi, I'm Maria. I'm uh, Marie. Maria, sorry. Hi, I'm Marie. I'm going to lead us in worship today. Because if we don't do it now, it's not going to be a habit. Another example, and I'm very guilty of this, when we stand up here to deliver communion, everybody knows the drill. Everybody knows that somebody talks and they read some scripture and then they go over and they take the bread and the cup and then the rows come up. But you know who doesn't know that is that new person. I've witnessed on multiple occasions where we've had guests 
who are sitting there like this. Because we didn't do a good enough job of explaining that yes, they are welcome to take communion. Here's how we do it. The first row goes up, then the second row, then the third row. We gotta do better at that. Because it, it makes, like, I get a sour pit in my stomach every time we have a, a visitor and somebody has to reach over and go, you can go up now. They don't like, they, they feel awkward. And they don't want to come back after that. And so with things like that, here's what I need from you. I need you to be a little bit more patient and a little understanding of, like, I'm going to start saying things that you already know. Like, my name is Josh. And it's going to be weird when it's a room full of us that you're like, that's dumb. I know who you are. I know it's weird, but if we don't get through the weird part now, then when we have people in here, then we're not going to be in that habit. So just be patient and be a little bit understanding that, like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say, good morning, my name is Josh, even though you already know me. I'm going to tell you how to take communion, even though you already know. And that's the reason. I just want you to be aware. Um, side note. Would somebody be willing to call or text or run and go grab Kathy? Okay. See, I put it in my notes. See? Planning ahead. Um, after my message today, this is the habit I'm going to get into. I'm going to sing a song of invitation, and I'm going to say, if anybody would like to be baptized into Christ, now is the time. Our elders, Ron and Stu, will be up front. You can come and give. I'm going to go through that whole spiel, and you guys are going to be like, I was baptized before you were born. <laughs> and it's going to be weird, so just get used to the weirdness. I'm, and again, I'm not, I'm not bringing all of this stuff up with the goal of making us feel bad. I've just been... Spending a lot of time, I've been preparing for the book of Matthew. I've been reading it and reading all of the things that Jesus is asking us to do and kind of taking a running inventory of where we are in that department. Where are we on meeting Jesus' expectations? What do we need to work on? Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. We're doing that. I don't think anybody would ever accuse this church of not letting their light shine. So there are places where like, yeah, we're right on. Let's continue doing that. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus tells his disciples, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I think we're actively trying to do that. I think that's what everyone's heart is. I know it sometimes feels like running uphill in the sand, trying to grow this church. You know what discourages me every week? Every time I come in here, and I look at that, Empty baptismal. 
It's got cobwebs on it. <laughs> that breaks my heart. Why do we even have a church if that thing's not going to be full and running, if we're not going to be breathing new life into the community? Why are we even here? But here's some encouragement for you. We can do this. God can do this because the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is going to raise this church and build this kingdom and give glory and honor to the king. Jesus tells us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who receives... Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And look, I've talked about this verse before, about how this is not a wishing well verse. This is the kind of thing that you pray, if it's God's will, this will happen. I believe that it is God's will to grow this church. I believe that it is God's will to grow the kingdom of God, and so I want to pray for that. I feel perfectly comfortable asking, God, bring more souls into this church. Bring more people into these seats. Bring more people that we can preach the good news of the kingdom of God to. And so what I want to do is, I want to just pray for that right now. Will you pray with me? Father God, we know that you can do all things. We know that you can grow this church, that you can build up your kingdom. We know that you have the power to do it. And God, we just ask that you would give us the encouragement we need. We ask that you would give us the strength we need. We ask that you would give us the willpower to get out there and grow this kingdom. God, I, I'm, I'm not in the habit of asking for specific things. But I'm going to do that. God, I ask that you would fill this church. God, I pray that you would force us to have to go upstairs and get new chairs. I ask that you would force us to have to consider how we're going to redo our parking because there's not enough parking here. I ask that you would fill this building with people who need to know the gospel. And I ask that you would give us the words to say to give it to them. I thank you so much for your son. I thank you so much for the sacrifice. I thank you for this kingdom that you have given us. And I just ask that you would help us to be the workers in your kingdom to grow it. And as always, we pray all of this in the name of your precious son, the king of all kings from everlasting to everlasting, beginning and end, the Alpha and Omega, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And the church said, Amen. Amen.